and welcome to a fireside chat with the CMMC COE. My name is Brian Hoagley. I'm the managing partner for Side Channel. Today I'm uh, welcoming a number of panelists to discuss the impacts of the CMMC on the defense industrial base. Uh, with me today is John Weiler, the lead for the Center of Excellence, the CMMC COE. Leslie Weinstein, the uh, director at uh, OCD Tech. And Michael Waters, a principal consultant with side channel and the former CISO for Booz Allen Hamilton. Uh, John, uh, in our preparation and discussions for uh, for this, you know, looking at the impacts and what's happening with CMMC as it's rolling out to the defense industrial base, the COE has been established. Can you just give us an overview and explain what is the mission of the COE for, uh, for today and tomorrow? It's a good question and ones that uh, I'm asked frequently. Uh, as you uh, may remember, I was part of the stand-up team, the originating founders of the new CMMC accreditation body. Uh, before that, I had hosted uh, an annual event called the Cyber Resilience Summit with uh, one of our partners, the IT Consortium for Software Quality. This is uh, before CMMC got fully launched and we hosted Katie Arrington and her team to discuss our vision that was created by her boss, Kevin Fahey, actually is the uh, the founding concept. They had recognized back then, uh, after NIST was commissioned to develop 800-171, the 171 controls, back in 2016-17 timeframe, that the self-attestation process where they self-certify was not working and they needed a way of, of auditing the commitments by industry on their ability to implement this cyber resilience set of uh, functions and processes. So I agreed to help stand up the new AB. I had encouraged the government to consider partnering with other like-minded nonprofits. And as we came together and forged this originating board of directors, um, my role was to bring the expertise of running nonprofits, which I had 25 years of, to inform and advise uh, both government and the my fellows of what it's what it takes to really stand up a robust 501c corporation. And as we move forward and began to finalize our structures, our goals, our objectives, you know, um, another startup I've been involved in, uh, I advocated for a 501c6, a public-private partnership model. Yet uh, there were others who thought that a 501c3 would be better, which uh, obfuscates the ability to partner and collaborate with other communities. So when we finalized the charter of the AB, it was clear that as the AB became laser focused, their words, on the accreditation process and creating three PAOs, there was no mechanism that the DIB community could get prepared or helped or educated. There were no mechanisms for other stakeholders to be engaged like NATO, like other agencies, like standards bodies, like NIST. So I felt that we needed a real public-private partnership, which I had been advocating for some time, and uh, signed an MOU with the uh, accreditation body and launched the new CMMC Center of Excellence to accomplish the things that the AB could not and create community to focus on stakeholder uh, cooperation, collaboration, training, education, and mentoring and to help identify the tools for automation, which is critical to deal with the speed of the threats that we see today. And SolarWinds and the Microsoft Exchange breach 
has re-emphasized the need for automation to bring to uh, to organizations a, a more rapid response to maturing our cyber posture, but also to continuously being monitoring and understanding where we are and how well we are uh, preparing ourselves for that eventuality. And today we now have seven international offices. We are uh, forging alliances with the Canadian government, UKMOD, NATO NCI, ANISA, Australian Defense Department, and many others and setting up offices there to accommodate their needs to set up three PAOs, to have training and mentoring and tooling that comes from across the planet. Because the best solution might not always be here in Washington. The best solution might be coming from our West Coast or our NATO friends, and together we can assemble uh, the greatest minds, the greatest tools, the greatest methods, and the expertise necessary for our global community to be responsive. Very nice. Yeah, that, um, so it sounds like with the AB's focus on the accreditation and certification, the COE's real focus is on the readiness of the actual defense industrial base. remediation, as ISO would suggest, if you were to get certified, the AB that is, uh, you cannot have one hand washing the other. You must separate those concerns. Right. So, Leslie, turning to to what you've seen in in your work, uh, both working inside of uh, the government, you were at uh, OSD's CIO office, correct? Um, and seeing kind of what the shape of what the CMMC would be that Carnegie Mellon and SCI had developed, and the potential impacts on the actual defense industrial base. What um, what is the the Dibs understanding? of what the impacts of CMMC are on them. Since 2019, I've talked to probably 150 different companies ranging inside from large defense contractors to micro companies with you know seven people and they're all being impacted, right? So even the large defense contractors don't have clear guidance. I think to John's point, um, DOD hasn't really done a lot to help educate and inform. Uh, yes, we need consultants. Most people realize that they have to bring in third parties um, but they don't even know how to vet these third parties. Um, how do we know that somebody knows what NISTA 171 is? How does anybody know what CUI is? How can, like, I feel like the defense industrial base feels like they're out or like they're just being set up to fail um, at this point because there's no one out there helping for the good of, of the DIB. Everyone's trying to make some money here. Uh, the CUI, right? C protecting CUI is the goal of the CMMC. Um, but the DOD CUI program was only established last year. So I hear a lot of companies saying, well, DOD doesn't tell us if we have CUI. And my response is DOD doesn't know what CUI is. Um, most of the Army websites still say right. FOO at the top of them. So if Army hasn't fully integrated the CUI, how can you expect every contracting officer and every PMO to understand what CUI is? So I've done a lot of coaching uh, with CUI um, over the last year, because that is the number one thing. Um, I've also done a lot of ad hoc or informal polling of clients or potential clients or people that I run across. Um, most of them don't know if they handle CUI. Um, up to a quarter of them think that uh, they will be pushed out of supply chain. If it's really as expensive as it looks like it's going to be, they're just not going to be able to play in the supply chain. Um, and me for, I, I'm an intelligence officer. I've been doing cyber for the last few years, but I fear for our national security. If, if we're going to lose uh, a portion of our supply chain, 
that defeats the whole supply chain risk management goal in the DOD cyber strategy of 2018. Supply chain management is a thing. And here we are, um, you know, the remaining 75% of our supply chain is going to be really secure. But what are we losing um, when we force this out? So it's unclear what the long-term impacts of the CMMC are going to be. But currently, it's fear, it's confusion. I get emails and phone calls uh, about once a week, at least once a week, if not multiple times a week. Uh, people are panicked. They are confused. They're being told they're not going to get paid. They can't run a contract unless they do a self-assessment, unless they do this tomorrow because the policies have been misconstrued. So the impact is mass confusion and uh, people are scared and they're, there's just not a lot of good guidance. So There does so, seem to be a, a big impact on, on the small yeah. organizations. We've definitely seen that. Um, I, have definitely, I have heard from clients and potential clients where they are actually rethinking if the DOD revenue line is worth it. So it's uh, it, it can definitely have a, yeah, a, a negative impact or an unintended consequence of implementing um, these types of security controls. And it's interesting, I want to go to uh, Mike on this, you know, being a CISO, myself, a former CISO at larger organizations, you know, the things that we've always heard is, you know, security cannot impact the business and in a negative way and yet here we are we have potential security policies having a negative impact on business but mike from your your role coming from a large defense contractor and in that mm -hmm. space uh to now supporting smaller orgs within the defense industrial base what do you think the key components are for these smaller organizations to uh to be able to focus on to be successful uh with the cmmc so um I mean, the CMMC level one controls, there's 17 of those, and, and even medium-sized organizations have challenges getting those under control. But I think for any organization, identity access management, knowing who is connecting to your environment is one of the most important foundational controls that need to be in place. Um, because uh, if you don't have control of who's logging into your environment, you don't have control of your environment. So um, making sure there's strong authentication uh, passwords are horrible. Everyone hates them. They're easy to steal. And there are so many decent multi-factor authentication methods out there now. Even though, you know, SMS, text message, there are, are ways around it. It's certainly better than just a password. Raise the bar a little bit at least. So identity and access management for any organization it has to be a foundational control. Um, and coming after that is uh, just the, the technical aspects of keeping systems maintained patch management, uh, ensuring that you that uh, systems are configured with least least amount of controls and uh, least amount of uh, privileges possible so that if a system gets compromised, uh, it doesn't just give free access to an adversary. It also applies to insider threats. So knowing who's logging on when and where, what they have access to. So that it all goes back to identity access management as being one of the key foundational things for uh, for any organization. Excellent. So when you look at uh, the smaller organizations and obviously being downstream to mm -hmm. the larger defense contractors, um, is there an opportunity or a play or is there even um, the, uh, the, the, the appetite uh, or the abilities for smaller organizations to rely on those larger organizations for any of these CMMC controls or insight or guidance? Um, or are these smaller orgs really on their own to, uh, to figure it out and fight for, you know, fend for themselves? No, no. The, um, so being with Booz Allen Hamilton and the, the peer organization, so the largest 
25 or so dib contractors all clearly understand that their so their supply chain is critical to their own information security as well as the information security of the dib so i've had conversations with peer CISOs trying to figure out how we can drive information security down into our supply chain even to the point of just like handing them a box put this on your network don't worry about it <laughs> we'll take care of it because you know telling them how to, to sinkhole bad domains is just too complicated for a lot of these smaller shops so while the large organizations are trying to engage with the small organizations in the supply chain directly uh, i think getting them involved in the community of center of excellence and any of the other dib communities where you can share intelligence share best practices it benefits all of us we're all fighting against the same enemies and trying to protect national security so the large defense contractors are very seriously concerned about their own supply chain not just for compliance reasons um, it is before the cmmc we were trying to figure out how we can help our peers and, and our um, our smaller clients so there's well, opportunities for collaboration that's really good news to hear. And, it, uh, you know, having been a former CISO and, and looking at my own supply chains, uh, you know, definitely an area I was concerned about. And if the opportunities arose to strengthen supply, my own supply chains, you know, I would take advantage of it. Uh, the hope is here that <clears throat> the larger defense contractors are, will be able to step up and, and be able to do that for their own. John, turning back to you and, and hearing, you know, from, uh, the, the backgrounds of, of, all you know, everyone on on this really focusing in on the policy and and how this all came about and the um you know what this is probably most going to um, impact you know what what is the COE's probably you know what is their mission in the sense of being the most impactful where can they drive the most value into the defense industrial base with regards to CMMC well let, let's talk about the most important stakeholder first which is our U.S. federal government. Right. Uh, they've recently um, conducted a review in light of solar winds to say, you know, we, we need an all of governments approach. We have been enabling that through our partnerships with our NATO allies uh, since June and carrying that water. There is a recent press release or statement from the National Security Council um, that says, quote, we still believe that public private partnership is foundational in the cybersecurity, and we want to ensure we're taking every opportunity to include private sector partnerships early and directly in the remediation efforts. So we are making sure as we evolve the COE is not just focus on the practical matters of compliance, but go beyond compliance to go into remediation and understanding and mentoring and bringing in the best minds, not those who paid, <laughs> no pay to play here, but those who really can bring uh, competent capabilities, whether it's knowledge sharing, tools, methods, or things that can accelerate uh, compliance. What's also I think is going to be more impactful is our ability to collaborate for the common good, to ingest and, and bring in expertise and like minds from major trade groups like NDIA, AFSIA, NDISAC, and they are their international counterparts across Europe, Asia Pacific, because the, the necessity to collaborate, not the sh only to share 
threat information, which is very important, but the solutioning, the prevention is more important than, oh, someone's attacking us, you need to know. Well, heck, we knew this was going to happen, let's do something. So in the shaping and supporting of our government public sector partners, we have reached out with MOUs to um, NASA, GSA, DOE, Department of Homeland Security, to and the National Security Council to say, hey, we are ready to support your all of government's public-private partnership. Then on the industry side, creating a force multiplier through organizations that already um, self-align with trade groups like NDIA say, okay, uh, Hawk Carlisle, why don't we set up an operation whereby which we can provide a capability that all the small businesses can leverage at a significant discount versus trying to figure out which RPO is actually viable and which one actually just paid the fee. So they need a trusted broker. They need somewhere to go to get all sorts of capabilities, not just training, but also what are the best tools for my size? What are the configuration architecturally that I need to understand if I go to the cloud? How do I apply those clouds? You know, Can you help me with the expertise because I can't afford to buy anybody? right now today or hire anybody because of COVID. So having that elastic structure to come in and provide the resources, the expertise, the methods and tools as a one-stop shop that's working in the public interest, whose goal is to help our country to work in the public interest, not maximize profits. That is our ability to make a difference. That sounds uh, sounds like a solid proposal and uh, a way forward and obviously much needed. Um, A lot of people are asking for help and trying to figure out which is the, uh, the best course to go with to, uh, to get that help. Um, Leslie, I want to end with you uh, with a question around uh, most people's journey in better understanding what they need to do to meet CMMC. And, and we touched on it earlier, but you know, the first step seems to be better understanding you know, what CUI do I have? What controlled and classified information? Everyone seems to just jump into uh, what controls am I meeting within the maturity model, but you really need to, I guess, first scope what CUI is. Can you just kind of talk to, you know, what's the best method to start addressing that CUI scope to then get ready for CMMC certification? Sure. So I want to give some statistics from Rand's latest paper on, on the defense industrial base, right? I was doing some of this while John was speaking. Sure. Uh, it's really illuminating. Um, so Rand says, and this is in line with the research that I did for ANS when I was in the space years ago, the research has not really changed much. I, I feel vindicated in my research findings. Um, but Rand says that 4.7% of revenue um, is spent on IT. And cybersecurity is a portion of the IT budget. And within the defense industrial base, they found that 10 to 20% of the IT budget is spent on cybersecurity. So if you have a company, a small business with $5 million in revenue, their cybersecurity budget is $35,000 if 15% spent on cyber. That's not even a human. That's not one human being. So how do we? It's so it's really difficult for companies who have that thirty-five thousand dollars. You can't buy a human, so you have to outsource something, and then you don't understand the level of compliance because you're probably hiring an MSP that provides IT services. But those IT MSPs, unless they are really focused on compliance, they don't understand how to configure it for compliance versus security, because those are two different standards. Uh, and the CMMC is a compliance requirement. So here comes a question of CUI. Do I even have it? I actually just, um, in the process of signing a statement of work, really short engagement, because this company 
She knows she handles CUI. Her prime is telling her she handles CUI, but they're giving her a cover sheet saying everything in here is CUI, it's all CUI. And her response is, no, it's not. I know it's not, but I don't know enough to tell you that it's not. So uh, what my plan is and what I will be doing with her is coaching her, teaching a woman to fish so that she can eat for a lifetime. So um, I think I took for granted uh, very early on about a year ago that uh, the scoping question would, would get hammered out in the contracting process, that they would tell me they're in scope systems. Um, they and then we would just go from there. But then we found that as we went through each engagement and we talked through the access control requirements and we they started asking questions, well, is our email in scope? Well, is our Dropbox in scope? Well, is our SharePoint in scope? And my question was, well, do you store CUI there? And they're like, well, I don't really know. So scoping has to be a conscious first step, uh, no matter what your journey is. Um, no matter if your prime is telling you you have to do a NIST 8171 self-assessment because of the 7019 clause, you have to understand if you handle CUI. If you don't handle CUI, your self-assessment is much different than if you do handle CUI. If you do handle CUI, everywhere that that information touches is now in scope. So it's a much different engagement if you handle CUI or not. The same with the CMMC level three. If you want to go after level three, but you don't handle CUI, your engagement is gonna be much different than a company who actually handles CUI and has to um, create the environment to handle CUI. So CUI, um, a scoping exercise, and I, I'm doing this with one of um, Brian's uh, clients currently, it's a massive engagement. Um, it's an electrical company. I've never learned so much about electricity in my entire life. Um, but the first step in that engagement, even though we're trying to figure out all of their in-scope systems, the first thing I did was a two hour uh, intense instruction on CUI because I don't need, I can't see, I don't want to see their CUI. I have no business seeing it. I'm not a defense contractor. They shouldn't be showing me anything, but what I can do is explain to them enough, teach them enough for them to start thinking, oh yeah, I think this information is CUI. Um, the cool thing about CUI, which is different from classified information, is that the executive order that establishes CUI, uh, it's a 10-year-old, maybe 11-year-old uh, executive order signed by President Barack Obama, is that the executive order itself says if there's strong reason to believe that something is not CUI, then it shall not be so designated. And also the classification authority, if you will, which it's not classified information, but it's a language that we all understand. DOD is not a classification authority. The ISU and the National Archives is a classification authority. So if the ISU doesn't say that it's CUI, DOD can't in turn say this is CUI. So um, I educate them on the National Archives. I try to give them a crash course on policy and how like, <laughs> derivative authorities work and how DOD does not have the derivative authority to classify something as CUI. They can um, inform you if CUI is present and a contractor potentially present, but they do not have the ability or authority to say this is CUI. Um, if it's not in the CUI registry, then it is not in fact CUI. So educating and equipping your clients, um, I think goes the longest. It, it, you get the most return on investment. Um, for a two-hour crash course, I can now equip clients with enough information to potentially push back on a crime or even the DOD to say, this isn't CUI. And in fact, they have the authority to do that. They have the authority to mark and handle it appropriately. And they have the authority to correct the um, incorrect markings and the misperception about the information. And, and that's given to them in the executive order. Um, so it's very empowering. Um, which CUI seems to be quite oppressive and it, it's freaking everybody out because no one really knows what it is. But if you look at the original source documentation, there is wide latitude 
for the authorized holder, the authorized holder is any government employee, contractor, anyone with a legal um, right to, to view that information. There's no need to know requirement in CUI. Uh, so anyone with legal access to that information has may access it. And, and if you're arguing over something being CUI or not, it's not, and it shouldn't be. Uh, and in fact, CUI should right. be shared widely. So there's no, um, this is not the intelligence community here. This is meant to share. So learning the real rules about CUI, sorry for my computer making noise, uh, but really educating your clients on CUI, the truth of CUI, the fundamental basics will take them so much further than trying to explain 110 controls in this day hard 171 teach them cui and they'll eat for a lifetime i love that that's great and and you um actually put out a free resource correct dodcui.com that uh overviews a lot of these components uh, brings some stuff out from behind the uh it links the, the every walls single of... original source it links to the executive order it links to the isu it links to the dod cui um website it links to everywhere at so John, I want to I want to end with uh, just uh, closing comments. If you have a call to action for the COE and anyone who's watching or listening to this uh, uh, today, well, you know, for those who provide expertise, mentoring, and tools, who want to support the defense industrial base as a community, that then, then we are here to accept you. But do understand, you're going to go through a very robust vetting process. Um, because we want to make sure anybody that we bring in is a reputable supplier. The other thing you should note is that there are some assessments uh, being conducted and directed by Congress of how the CMMC program is being executed. There are concerns from small business communities that they're not being accommodated. There's been some concerns about representations of CMMC will have solved solar winds, not accurate. <laughs> and the uh, exemption of COTS providers, which you know, also raises some other questions. So we are right now engaged with GAO's independent assessment. We are a partner of GAO already as a nonprofit research institute. Uh, we've also uh, in the middle of an outreach engagement with the Deputy Secretary of Defense, who's been directed to conduct a review of all of DOD's SCRM and CMMC processes in light of solar winds to see where are the gaps, where, where can we make improvements, and uh, we're hoping to provide that objective insights. But there is uh, an absolute necessity for all of governments to collaborate. And, and those who put country first, we welcome you. John, thank you so much. Uh, Leslie, thank you so much for, for joining me and, and Mike as well. Uh, my name is Brian Hoagley. And on behalf of Side Channel, the CMC COE, OSD Tech, uh, I want to thank everybody for watching. I thought this was a very informative discussion. I look forward to many more. I will link down below any of the URLs, domains that we mentioned today on this podcast uh, and video, and I look forward to your comments. So if you have a thought or an idea or something that you agree or disagree with, we'd love to hear from you. Please post those down below and we will do our best to respond. This will be coming out uh, over the spring timeframe of 2021. So again, Brian Hoagley with Side Channel on behalf of John Weiler, Leslie Weinstein, and Michael Waters. I want to thank you for your time.